1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. is the 280th episode of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. My name is Rob Snow White. This episode features Sven Diesel. I'm a curious guy. I wanted to find out more about someone that I follow on social media. This is the story of a guy that looks like a Viking that lives in Utah and ties flies while entertaining thousands on a daily basis. I really enjoyed this interview. I felt like we were hanging out on early Sunday morning in my living room. So this is an early Sunday morning conversation about fly fishing. It just happens to be brought to you by Traeger. Traeger brings unrivaled wood-fired flavor to the table, unlocking your food's true potential. No matter which grill you select, Traeger's 6-in-1 ability means you can grill, smoke, bake, roast, braise, and barbecue with pure hardwood flavor. I'm currently playing around with brining bone-in skin-on chicken thighs, and then dusting them with a little bit of the Traeger Signature Dry Rubs. Life is too short to be eating oven-cooked food, so go out and get yourself a Traeger today. Thanksgiving's around the corner. Don't ever eat oven-made turkey again. And this is a shout-out to Chef Chad Wells of Baltimore. He's one of the people that influenced me to get a Traeger. He finally caught his first fish in a fly rod yesterday, thanks to Austin Murphy. So let's go find out what Sven is up to, who he is, where he is. And what he does. All right, so we have Sven Diesel with us. You go by a different name in real life. Your real name is Eric? Uh, yeah, my first name's Eric. Middle name's Sven. The last name's Svensson. So there you go. My social security number is... No, I'm kidding. Well, I thought we were going to give that out for a second there. Right, and do you <laughs> have any celebrity doppelgangers for those that do not follow you on social media that might want to put a face with the voice? Uh, no, not really. I mean, 
I think uh, if you you know me, you know me. If you don't already, then uh, you should get to know me. So nice. I don't. And you are in Provo, Utah. Close to it. Uh, I live just a little bit north of there. Lived in Provo for you know most of my life, thirty six years, and just recently moved a little bit north. Okay, about seven minutes. So haven't moved too far in my life. So you still got your regular grocery stores and other places you can still hit up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I work still. My 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 job is in Provo, and so I still drive over pretty much to the same area I grew up in my whole life and lived for the last you know thirty plus years. So okay. now being from Utah, there's not a whole lot of Vikings there. You seem to be a bit. <laughs> of a viking yourself oh well um that was uh that's kind of a long story but my my grandparents come from uh, denmark they immigrated after world war ii so i spent a lot of summers traveling with my grandma over to you know hang out she usually went over every for about three four weeks every summer and so i spent a lot of time you know i didn't go every summer i wasn't the privileged grandchild but I've probably been over there, you know, six, seven times. I lived there for two years doing a, a mission for my church. And so I feel very connected with uh, Denmark, which, you know, is connected with Scandinavia. And the Viking just came about because that was just kind of made sense. I dig it. All right. So Viking that fishes. Did you ever fish when you were over there? No, and that's that's what I kind of, uh, you know, I, I got into the fishing sport later in life. Funny story, uh, growing up, we I, I don't remember catching fish. We went camping a ton as a family, and I don't remember catching a lot of fish. And I remember in high school, guys were like, you know, let's go fishing. I'm like, yeah, right. Like, that's just a waste of time. I just remember looking at that red and white bubble, sit out there for hours and hours and hours and thought it was the most boring thing in the world. So, you know, fast forward 20 years, I got kids, we go up, we catch, you know, a bunch of fish, got kind of back into it. And I, I took my dad and I said, hey, how come we didn't catch fish like this when I was a kid? And he goes, well, that's because I stopped putting hooks on. <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, yeah, like the one time your sister hooked your other sister in the shoulder and then your other sister hooked the other in the ear and then you hooked your sister in the nose. Oh. So I just stopped putting hooks on. And I said, well, so we sat out there. I remember watching that bubble for hours. And he goes, oh, it was great. I could sit there in the hammock and take a nap and didn't have to worry. So that was my experience fishing growing up. So I didn't really get into fishing or fly fishing until, you know, my mid-30s. Well, how, how long have you been tying flies? Uh, so I think it was like 2015, 2016, kind of got back into fly fishing i took a course up at uh, sundance mountain resort it was a summer long you know come as many times or as little times as you want if you bought the season pass for fly tying and they had some phenomenal instructors and so that's about what four years ago five years ago that's pretty nuts you've accomplished quite a lot in those short years oh well i appreciate that yeah. uh, i i i think i've picked up a few skills and a few bad skills so it's always about uh, trying something new and learning something else. And my hobbies usually last uh, two to five years and I go all in. So we're about approaching that five-year mark. So who knows, maybe next year I'll be into uh, quilting. You know, you never know. I would like to learn how to crochet, make my own hats and gloves and stuff. Dude, uh, I can teach you anytime. When my grandma got really, really sick towards the end of her life, I'd spend a couple hours over at her house and 
it kind of got monotonous just hearing all these stories about people I didn't know. And so I said, Hey grandma, will you teach me how to crochet? So I made beanies when I was visiting her and uh, it's a lot of fun. Terrible. I don't know if I need sharp needles. Fly tying with scissors is dangerous enough for me. <laughs> there you go. So what other things have you gotten really into then besides tying? Um, and so I was really into, I guess you would say in college, it would be weightlifting. And then that transitioned into cycling where for, you know, I was cycling 200 plus miles a week for a couple of years. And then that transitioned into, I guess you'd call it recreational sports shooting. Basically, I got a little bit into firearms, was a volunteer up at the gun range, got a few NRA uh, certified uh, training so I could, you know, be a range safety officer. And I think it was in like 07, it got a little bit too expensive, got into a few other shorter hobbies and then i kind of connected the outdoors with the shooting and got into hunting and then that kind of led into fly fishing so you got a bunch of homemade bird skins you can pluck from if you need feathers now yeah i don't i don't do that i i got a lot of people i i just buy my you know uh bird feathers or you know animal skins or hair from the people that wash and dye it i've never gotten into the harvesting my own um, hair or fur or feathers. I tried it once when I had to replace my flock of chickens. I was like, oh, I could use these feathers. And then, you know, when I chopped off their heads, I was like, there was blood everywhere. And I'm like, I'm not washing this. So we just had tacos instead. <laughs> so you've also raised birds. Uh, we, we, my wife, uh, at our last house got into, we kind of got into, I guess you'd call it urban farming, you know, where you've got a little like 20 by 30 section of, you know, that you garden. And then she grew up with chickens. And so she wanted, you know, fresh eggs. And um, I was against it because I thought it was stupid. But then we had a snail problem at our house, which, you know, that doesn't sound like anything major. But I found out that, they, you know, they started eating the garden. And that was super annoying. And I found out that chickens eat snails. So I said, well, let's try it. And they ate every, all the snails and, you know, all my plants in the backyard. And so then, you know, I built like a container area for them. And we really got into it. And it was really awesome for our kids, teaching them, you know, where food comes from, the circle of life in a way. But when we moved, we, we didn't continue with the chickens. Do the animals out west try to eat all your birds? And that, that's why we didn't continue because we moved to an area that's not – it's not more rural, but we have more predators where we live. Whereas before, you know, it was three-quarters of a mile, mile to, to, the, to the hillside where it turned into Forest Service. And I never had an issue with uh, raccoons or, or badgers or mountain lions. Badgers. But – I heard, you know, I, I constantly, we knew all the people that had chickens in our area because it was kind of a battle whether or not you could have chickens type thing, you know, because we definitely couldn't have roosters. But so I knew a lot of the people and it was interesting to see that like literally five houses away was the borderline of where a raccoon would come and try and get into your chickens. Well, we have bears now in our neighborhood because of Shut COVID. Up. And we're only about 10 to 15 miles from the White House. 
It's just been so quiet. There's bears now. <laughs> oh man, that's but that's all. That's have, awesome in a way. Yeah, we have a lot of owls, and our neighbor had chickens illegally because you need to be zoned for space. And hers all got eaten by the owls. You can hear great horned owls every night in our neighborhood. I'm totally jealous because I've only I've only seen an owl in the wild once. They're enormous. Oh, I'm jealous, man. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But they'll eat the chickens, huh? Yeah. I'm trying to get my neighbor to raise chickens. His backyard's huge. I'm like, dude, put a coop in. That's less lawn you got to mow. And then I said, bring them over here and they'll eat all the stuff in my garden. Yeah, all our neighbors loved us too because having chickens is a little bit annoying. But I maintain, I clean the coop every other week. We threw out fresh cedar. We would give dozens of eggs to all our neighbors. That's awesome. So bribe them because, you know, you had to be, you could only have so many chickens per square foot of your property. I can't remember what it is, but we had about five chickens and it was all we needed and a lot of fun. So very cool. Maybe our next house will have more room to do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, uh, let, less time to fish if you got chickens, yeah. right? Well, I also want Indian running ducks. They eat a lot of slugs and snails too, but they stand up vertically. They walk around standing up. They're pretty cool looking. Huh, I'll have to Google that. Yeah, Indian running duck. They're really huh. cute. Right, well, let's talk about fishing more. I've been going gardening for hours. Uh, so you've got quite a bit of followers on your social media. Uh, I, I've got some. Yeah, yeah I, I, there's, there's a few crazy people out in the world that uh, I guess want to follow me. So. so when did you go from starting to tie flies to starting to share them on social media? So that was uh, back, and that's how I kind of know when I got into fly tying, because during the course of that summer, you know, we all have our friends and family Instagram, you know, where we share pictures of what we're doing cool. I, I, I got it heavily into fishing, and I literally, people were telling me to stop posting pictures of fishing. Like, I'd have friends text me and say, hey, what are you doing? Like I'm working. Oh, you sure you're not on the river fishing? It just got kind of annoying, but I could see how they were annoyed by all of a sudden the feed just starts fishing, 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 fishing. And so I just said, screw this. Let's just make another account. And then I was like, well, what am I going to put on it? And I was tying flies at the time or learning how to. So I said, why not just start, you know, posting pictures and then you start following people that are posting pictures. And so then you, you know, getting these like not collaborations, but hey, you tied this. Hey, check out what I saw so and so time. I tied this. And you meet a lot of friends that way. And it's a lot of fun. And that, I guess that's kind of where it evolved into basically having a quote unquote fishing account, mainly to save my family from seeing everything I do. But now they all follow my fishing account. So I guess that didn't really matter. At what point did somebody see one of your flies and was like, dude, you got something going on here. Like you're a little bit above others. Oh, I, I don't know if anyone's ever seen a fly and said I'm above any others. I just, you know, my flies are mediocre and I, I do a lot of Photoshop with them and smoke and mirrors, illusions. Oh, you know, you got to you know, increase, increase your sharpness, decrease your contrast and, you know, just make them look pretty for the gram. That's what I do. Okay. I, I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of great tires out there way better than me. I just, I have a lot of fun with it and, you know, I get occasional comments, you know, Hey, that looks awesome. Or like, this is perfect, but I see all the flaws. 
Um, so I don't ever consider anything perfect. What are some of the amazing. techniques you had to teach yourself to tie the flies you want to tie? So the way I did that is I had that course up at Sundance and they had some phenomenal instructors up there. You know, I learned how to whip finish from, you know, uh, Brian Wimmer. You know, he's the Sundance fly fishing guy. And, you know, Grant Bench taught me all about feathers. And there were a few other guys there. And it was it was really amazing. But then once that ended, I had, you know, purchased a vise throughout that summer and started getting into materials. And then I kind of turned to uh, YouTube. And I took a little bit of a different approach. And, you know, this is what I recommend to anybody. Sorry, we're getting off on a tangent. But I get messages quite a bit like, hey, how, how could I progress? Or how, how did you progress as a tire? And I said, all I did is I, 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 I YouTubed um, pheasant tail nymph, you know, pretty standard nymph fly. And I'd watch 10 different people tie it. And I tied exactly how they tied it. Literally follow their YouTube video. And then over time, you learn a lot of different tricks and techniques that aren't necessarily supposed to be, you know, specific for that fly. But you can, all of a sudden you're like, hey, I could do that on my woolly bugger. I could do that on my, my, my popper. I could do that on a, you know, uh, anything. And then that's where the kind of the fun, when you learn how to do a technique and think of how it can apply to a different fly that you've already tied. And the only way you get those tips and tricks is by watching or, you know, seeing a lot of different guys tie because you pick up on it. Most of it's the same, but then you, you just hear this little tidbit in the middle and you're like, oh my gosh, why have I not been doing that? Were there any things that were intimidating or took longer to learn how to do? Oh, I'm still intimidated by a lot of flies. I hate tying dry flies. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. I, I, I like tying dry flies that fish and usually my dry flies that fish aren't very pretty photographing. Do you fish those? Oh yeah. Um, I'd say 90, 95% of them are either fished by me or someone else. I give away a lot of fl flies and so it's not always that I fish them or I'll have somebody message me and say, Hey, I saw this fly, like how much and, I'm just like, dude, I'll just send it to you because if you like it that much, but you know, make sure you fish it. Just don't have it sit somewhere in a drawer. We tie flies to fish. and That's why we do it and why it's a lot of fun because, you know, there's something at the end of getting you in the river and it, I don't know. It's just, it just feels good to have a box full of flies that, you know, you tied. I have trouble with dries. I wanted to learn how to do parachutes during covid and i spent about a week mm -hmm. i was like man i need to just put a piece of foam on top of these instead of a hair parachute <laughs> oh foam is awesome yes. but yeah parachutes like i think it's my i have a very ocd nature and like when i mentioned you know i take a pheasantel nymph and tie it 10 different ways i didn't just tie one and say okay that's fine i i tied it until it looked like how they tied it I had to, like, I guess my wife says I've got a little bit of a perfectionist uh, mentality sometimes on certain things, and that's one of them. So when I tie, like, a parachute, if I have, like, one fiber sticking down or the, 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 the dubbing didn't taper perfectly, I'm just like, 
I just toss it in a drawer and I've got a drawer of flies that are just, I don't consider the reject. I don't know. I, I'm not happy with them. Yeah. I usually just give those to people. Yeah. I, I started I'll, doing that, but then all of a sudden they're like, Hey, you're Sven Diesel. Like, Hey, Oh, and then, then I'm like, wait a second. I can't give them a botched fly. Right. And is your wife cool with having all this fly fishing and tying stuff? And then before I've, that was other stuff. Absolutely not. Uh, she's okay. Like the road biking, she was totally fine with, except she didn't like when I was gone for like, you know, six to nine hours on a, a really long ride. She liked you in shape though. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, and fly tying, let's be honest, you know, we get a little <laughs> bit overweight. That's kind of where the next hobby might be. It might be getting back in shape, but I just need some motivation. Yeah. You don't, you don't really burn the calories, you know, spinning the vice. Yeah, she's she's okay with it. You know, she's not okay if I'm, you know, on social media too much and not paying attention to my kids or, you know, she's never really barked at me for purchasing fly tying materials. You know, she's been very supportive, really great, but, you know, we didn't think it would evolve to what it is. Or I never thought I'd be this deeply invested into fly tying. Does she get upset when fly tying materials end up in parts of the house where they're not supposed to be there's um, marabou and crystal flash everywhere in our house if you look yep so my last house the carpet was crystal flash and iced up and you know it was fun i took a uv light and shined on it floor. on the carpet yeah you see I it all right and now I'm... yeah my entire carpet lights up chartreuse <laughs> yeah it's crazy there's glow bug yarn down there there's rubber my kid's doing it now well She's enjoying me, everything uh, down there glows a little tip for anybody out there that uh, wants a cleaner fly tying room is I have a vacuum right at my desk now. So I would say 99% of my materials stay on my desk. You know, you always get the ones that fall in your lap. I have a mat underneath where I sit now so that those don't go into the wood or it wouldn't have gone into the carpet. And all I do is Every three to dozen bugs, depending on what you're tying, I just vacuum it up. Little shop vac? I used the shop vac, and then I, I kind of took over. My wife had a little Dyson, little handheld Dyson, and that seems to work a little better because the shop vac just took up a lot of room, and I was in a minimal, minimal space at the last house. And so I kind of took that over, and it works phenomenal, and that's what I use now. And I don't track as much material around the house. Nice. And so I recommend having a vacuum, you know, just make sure the vent is not pointing towards your material on the side. You know, it's one of those things like when you sneeze and feathers go everywhere. Yep. Well, I've also had the vent pointing the wrong way. And next thing I know, there's rabbit everywhere. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. 
If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So, My kid just found something on the floor. All right, you can go now. Ow. Out, out. How many kids do you have? Uh, three. Wow. So... And are they all uh, going to school in person or online? Um, so we are, it, depending on where you live in Utah, we are different. Our, my kids are early out every day. So their early out day is now every day. But if you lived five minutes or ten minutes south, then you'd be on an A-B schedule. So your kids would go two days a week all day. But, you know, masks are required, no drinking fountains, the recess. My boy's like, oh, recess sucks, Dad. We have to walk six feet away around a track four times, and then we go back in. And I'm like, dude, you know, we all have to make sacrifices. You're lucky you get to go see people because there's a lot of kids that aren't going to school. That's us. So I was just going to take my kid out to Colorado to my in-law's condo for the fall. Just go out there for two months. But since school starts at 8.30 Eastern, we'd have to be ready to go at 6.30 Mountain Time. And I was like, yeah, yep. that doesn't sound fun. Well, we're seeing a lot more California, Washington plates here. Because I'm out on the road all day driving. And uh, you're seeing a lot of, like, you know, people are moving here for that reason. Or coming temporarily for the fall. And I was like, yeah, right. Why would you up and move? But I'm seeing it. And so it's a thing. So, you know, go to Colorado and, you know, I'm only eight hours from depending on where you're at and we can go fish. Heck yeah. We'll be, we're in uh, Breckenridge straight off 70. Yeah. It's about seven hours, six hours from me. Yeah. 24 hour driving for me. Oh, 24 hours. Well, we got the green river in between us so we could just meet there. I've never fished west of like Carbondale or uh, Glenwood Springs area. Like I've never mm-hmm. fished west of Aspen, sort of, or Roaring Fork. You ever been out to Grand Junction? I'll have to, I'll have to get that on the schedule. Yeah. All right, let's talk about your tying. What's your, what's your setup? What, what vice are you tying on? In a couple of years, have you figured out any tools that you prefer over others? Kind of known for not using the same vice and being a tool junkie. So you just got yourself on a long tangent. How much time do we have? As long as you want. people. What okay. else do people have to do right now? Yeah, I don't know. I could be sleeping right now. That's something I could be doing. But No, so I uh, I have a – it's not just with fly tying tools. Uh, you know, the last house we were in, we remodeled it completely. And so I said, you know, hey, should I pay this guy four grand to do the hardwood floors and the hole upstairs? Or should I buy the material for 1400 bucks and buy all the tools? So I bought all the tools and did you know everything myself. So and fly tying, I I don't know. I I wouldn't say I get bored, but I I think that there's a, a tool that helps on every fly. People, I get I get this message quite a bit. Hey, what's your favorite vice? I see you tie on multiple vices, and I go, well, what flies are you tying? What what hook are you using? Because I'm not going to use a a vice that I know won't hold a four-out hook if I'm tying bass bugs. And, you know, I'm really cranking down, wanting to 
you know, get them down, I'm going to use either my T-Rex or I've also been using a lot of this peak vice lately. But if I'm tying little, you know, midges, you know, I've got a different vice for that that I prefer. If I'm going to be spinning woolly buggers, the Norvice is super fun because you just fling it and it just spins forever. You know, so when it comes to specific tools, I love bobbins. The way they feel in your hand and how everyone is different. I recently ordered some from uh, South Africa. Um, I don't know his name. It's Jay something. It's uh, his company's Jay Vice, and I don't know if you've ever seen his bobbins. No. They are. You look at it and you're like, "What the freak is that?" It is. The tip is angled at a 45 degree angle. It's got adjustment screws. It's 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 kind of like a, you know, compared to most fly tying bobbins, this is definitely an artsy looking piece, almost like you'd put it in a, a glass box to just admire his art. But it literally holds in my hand and functions better than most uh, bobbins I've used. It, it's it's the craziest thing. I got turned on to it from a guy in, in the UK. And when I saw he posted, I'm like, what is that? And where did you get it? And it was, you know, bobbins range in, from $8 to, you know, $55, I think, on average. You know, the higher-end ones are 30 plus. This one was 33 bucks shipped. It's not like bad was, the amount of time you're going to spend on using it. N- no, and in, in, in everything about it, I just love. Another really cool tool that I've, uh, I've seen or a lot of people message me about is the Stonfo makes a dubbing brush, uh, dubbing loop tool. It's called the Elite Roto Twister. So when you don't have tension on your thread, it separates it. And then as soon as you pull down or let the weight of the tool pull it down, it, it holds your material for you. So you don't have material slipping out of your dubbing loop. And so then what I do is I push material up towards the top, and then I can open it up, and it still holds it. You know, I open it just a little bit. And sometimes if you're using, like, other dubbing tools, dubbing loop tools, your material falls out as soon as you open it. With this, it doesn't. And then it spins on a ball bearing, so you can almost over-twist your material. And then the head rotates. It's, it's kind of hard to describe, you know, just YouTube it or um, watch people use it, but it's super, super awesome. Probably one of my more favorite tools. And you're a big dude, right? Uh, I'm six six four two thirty. So how do tools fit in your hands, like scissors wise? Do you have to have so, scissors where your your hands um, can fit through? Well, I I get my scissors custom made out of Pakistan for me, um, for bigger holes and longer um, uh, longer blades. So I actually use an eleven and a half inch scissor, but to most people, since my hands are so large, it looks normal. It's like with Andre the Giant. Yeah, you I'm just messing with you. Him uh, with the Molson yeah. can. <laughs> no, but that guy's massive. Yeah, where my neighbor Don holds a can of Stella, it looks like he's holding a baby bottle in his hands because <laughs> the dude's enormous. We're always like, "Oh yeah. yeah, it's like Andre the Giant holding that can of Molson." Hey, the only thing is, I think the I just use you know scissors that you, you know you can get at most fly fishing shops. I just don't like keeping them in my hand. Uh, I know a lot of tires do, but I'm never in such a rush that, you know, seven seconds to pick up my scissors is an issue. 
I feel uh, the weight difference. When I put my scissors down and then go to the vice, my hand feels awkward. Sort of like if I take my wedding ring off my left hand, I can feel the weight difference. There's, it just doesn't. I, I could I, I could right. get that I could uh, I could understand that and yeah so I just I think maybe it's one of those things I never had that as a habit in the beginning and I don't like rings and I know a lot of guys just keep that through their either their ring finger or middle finger or whatever finger you keep it through and I hate having like a ring on my finger and so maybe that's a, just a personal pet peeve of feeling that all the time but when you just pick them up and snip and then put them down i don't notice that awkwardness i guess for me personally but it would save a lot of time keeping them in my hand i even tried those like the spring-loaded ones you know that are more a micro tip have you seen those no i've had those for years from biology yeah and i i tried those and that feels a little bit less like annoying in my hand but uh, i still just pick them up put them down and don't ever drop them on the tips. Yeah, no. I definitely have dropped some scissors in my carpet, and they have just missed my bare feet sometimes. <laughs> that, that's I had one land between my toes. Oh my gosh! And I just got thinking. I'm like, okay, this is something I gotta, you know, take a little bit more serious. Yeah, because I can't go to the hospital these days. I'm not getting COVID over stupid. I took all my daughter's scissors away when COVID started. Cause really? she just go cut random things up. And I was like, you know what? We're not having you cut your finger up by accident. So we're going to take all your scissors away. So I actually, I had to go visit the hospital here recently due to an injury. And I was actually really impressed with the the protocols, the safety they were taking. It was actually, because I was kind of nervous. I'm like, hey, babe, I think my elbow might be broken but I really don't want to go to the hospital. She's like, you're going to the hospital. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to go get COVID. And then I went down there and it was like, Oh, Hey, I could be here. This isn't that bad. So hopefully that's the case in most hospitals across the country. But, uh, here locally, I had a phenomenal experience. So, and you're not out in the boonies enough that you've got some hospital where you show up and there's chickens and pigs in the waiting room next to you. No, they just, they, they no, they, it's a pretty big hospital. My cousin was married to a woman that was from rural Pennsylvania. And when she broke her arm, she went in there and it was barn animals waiting too. Are you serious? That's yeah. crazy. Yep. <laughs> oh man. Uh, no, this was, uh, I guess you'd say Western medicine. They just added on like a multi-millionaire, multi-million wing of the hospital. So it's, I do know that they had before the addition, you know, 47 beds for women who had just had a baby because when my third child was born, the nurse comes in and says, okay, there's five people in the hospital right now that are, you know, they're in labor and we have three beds left. So unless you want to sleep in the uh, OR for the next three days, get this baby out. Wow. Also, speaking of Utah, do you have a pretty strong community of tires and, and fly shops and employees that are all just just a community? Um, yes and no. That there's a there's a definite presence of uh, a lot of tires out here. A lot of people that fly fish. I don't know how to describe it. It's it's unique from what people tell me. I don't know anything different. 
But a lot of people say it's unique because it's almost like everyone's in their own groups. So it's hard to penetrate into a group. But once you're in, you're in. Uh, the issue I have, I'm not really in many groups or I can't really go tie at the shop, you know, every Wednesday night or, you know, whatever, just because my Wednesday nights is right now soccer. Uh, a month ago it was uh, baseball. And then if it's not that, I'm doing homework or, you know, doing work. I just don't have that luxury of – and that's where I think the social media aids me because it's not a – local fly shop club i'm in it's a global community of people that love tying flies and fly fishing do you get recognized when you go in a fly shop uh like what do you like like well the employees probably know you but well, anyone yeah, in there I, be I mean, like i know you from instagram well no i know all these guys from just going in the shop uh you know like, so it's i get patron. recognized hey eric hey sven hey how's it going Hey, good. How's your Tuesday? Because I usually stop in once a week. So it's, uh, you know, just, hey, I really like that picture you posted last week of your fish. Oh, cool. Yeah. What's What else is new? What's new in the shop? So I wouldn't say that. I, I have been stopped randomly at a few gas stations. Like, you want to hear a real funny one? Bring it on. I'm sitting there because I drive a van. My own business is automotive products. And it says Svensson on the side of it because that's the name of the company. And it's like three foot by 25 foot in red on white. So pretty noticeable. So I'm sitting there filling up at the gas station. You know, I'm just, it's a 45 gallon tank or 40 gallon tank. So it takes a minute. So I'm just sitting there just holding the gas, you know, pumping gas. And this truck starts driving off and it stops and backs up and the window goes down. I go, this is weird. And this guy goes, hey, you're Sven Diesel, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He's like, awesome, man. And then peels off. That's pretty <laughs> I'm cool. Like, I'm, like, I'm like out in the middle of freaking nowhere. And I, I called my wife. I'm like, you're not going to believe just what, what just happened. And she's like, what? And I'm like, I told her the story. And she's like, you're ridiculous. But it was, it was kind of a cool little thing. But I was like, hey, next time say, hey, I'm – you know, Joe Schmo, nice to meet you. Like, do you want to get out and talk for a minute or, you know, I don't I have no idea who he was or would have been, I always enjoyed talking fishing and flies. So that's pretty cool. But, yeah. I've had a few of those experiences that were just kind of fun, but other than that, it's uh, yeah, I'm just, it's just the regular shop, regular guys. And the other shop in town, I used to have lunch with the, uh, the owners, you know, once we tried to go to tacos every Tuesday. Uh, we said once a month, but it was probably, you know, three, four times a year. How are the tacos in Utah? Well, the shop they introduced me to, they're amazing. I always drove by it and thought it was like a little shed, but apparently it, it the is best the places. best tacos. Yeah. The taco place up the street, I don't even get the tacos. I get the sandwiches. They're so good. Mm. Taco Bamba. Yeah, that's one advantage to being on the road all the time is I find a lot of really 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 good food that i think's good and then i'm like hey babe we gotta go when we go up paddle boarding or fishing up at this lake like let's stop and get these tacos or these sandwiches and she's never as impressed as i am but we definitely have some good uh honey holes here for food so cool. 
there's a lot of outdoor industries also just based out there. Yeah, there's a ton of that. And that's, I think, because, you know, this is the, um, I can't remember. I used to have this, this known or this, uh, memorized, uh, there's so many national parks. I can't remember how many it is, but I can be in Arches National Park in three hours from my house. I can be in the Uinta National Forest in an hour. I can be in Jackson Hole, the Tetons, in you know five hours. I can be in Zions National Park in four and a half. I mean, there's so much here that's so close that it's just it's mind blowing. And those are just the main parks. I mean, there's so much to do outdoors. I mean, I'm literally looking at the side of a mountain right now that uh, you know is probably to get to a trailhead is 150 yards. Oh, and then so once happy. I connect onto there, I can go anywhere on this mountain. Yeah, I'm stuck in suburbia. Yeah, so you're welcome to come out here. I think my neighbor's house is going to be going for sale, so just let me know. Heck yeah, man. I wouldn't mind selling this one. I think my wife can work from anywhere about now if she's allowed to. Yeah, I think that's the main thing is a lot of people learn how to work online or remote now and so where you live isn't going to be as critical but you know how many kids do you have just one just one see that's the thing is uprooting your kid is i mean we just uprooted ours 15 minutes and i didn't realize how much how hard it is because we, we don't move that often i've moved my wife grew up moving all the time so she got used to it but like that first move holy crap it's, it was tough that first week of school, and they didn't know anybody. But just, they're, they're adapting. So. So one of the reasons we bought this house is there's – well, there was a direct bus to the Pentagon. But it used to take my wife an hour each day, one way, <laughs> just to get to the Pentagon. And her quality of life has improved because she's not sitting for two hours a day in traffic. Yeah, for sure. That was yeah, – other places we looked at, the commute was just too bad. And now mm -hmm. DC, no one's commuting, so no one really has to pay these crazy prices for housing and apartments to live here. They're all, again, leaving and doing it somewhere else. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that that's been going on. I think, what, New York City, they're trying to get people to move, stay or move back or. Apparently, it's just homeless people everywhere in New York because really? people are moving. I guess yesterday there was some monster line at U-Haul uh, to get out of New York City. Huh, I've crazy. got clients down here that live in Manhattan and they're just living with their families. And my sister moved. Uh, she came out here for COVID. She lived down in Brooklyn and then now she, she moved back, packed up and now she's here. So, but she says until her company decides they're not going to decide till January, she might have to move back. So she's remote until January. Well, enjoy the, the outdoors. So you can pretty much do any outdoor activity your heart desires out there. Well, you know, time and money. I mean, there's some some outdoor stuff that can get pretty expensive. But, you know, a pair of hiking shoes and, you know, a stick and some, uh, some fishing line. You, I mean, you can do whatever. Yeah, there's mountain biking. Like, we do a lot of mountain biking. We do a lot of paddle boarding, kayaking, hiking. Uh, occasionally, I get a fish with the family. But usually I go out solo because they get sick of waiting for me when it gets on and I'm just out there for hours. Yeah, there's there's a lot of outdoor activities. That's a pretty cool place to live. 
yeah, and then you got skiing in the winter, snowboarding. You know, that's what we're, if anything, that's probably our main hobby is uh, skiing just because of how expensive it is. So we just, that that's what we work for and work towards and the kids love it. And so that's what we do here pretty much as a family. We're up at the resort. You know, we try to get up every weekend. So, And I hear that Utah has different type of snow than anywhere else, that it's a certain type of powder. Uh, I'd say Utah and Colorado are, are similar, but it, it has to do with, you know, the dry air here. So out by you guys, you know, it's so humid, even yes. in the winter, that, you know, it snows, and by four hours later, it's turned to, you know, ice or hard snow. When it snows out here. I haven't yeah. used a shovel since 2016. Oh, so here in Utah, because of that dry climate, it's very rare that we get wet snow. That's becoming more so, it seems, in recent years, though. But when you have a dry flake, it, uh, you know, you got 18 to, or, or sorry, four to, you know, 12 inches of a light snow. You, you can scoop that up with your hand and throw it up in the air and it just falls like glitter. Well, oh, so imagine skiing here, in that. You, you make a snowball as a kid here and you got to change your gloves. It's like slushy, yeah. wet, and nasty. And that's what so kills so many old dudes trying to shovel their driveways. They get heart attacks. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, see, we there's some snowstorms that we can't even make a snow a snowman out of. It's just powder. Yeah, so like the kids, you know, when it you know snows, they get kind of frustrated when they it doesn't pack. And so that's I I don't even know how often that happens that we get wet snow. I'd say it's like one in maybe half the time or two thirds of the time. It's usually drier than wetter. But when it's wet, it's nothing like what you're used to i'm assuming yeah it's pretty gross what about yeah. uh, fishing in the winter do you get out much when it snows to go fish that's one of my um, favorites so yeah i i'd say i don't fish much in the summer due to work that's my busy time of the year um so i'm a big fall into winter that's when you know i say i go fishing more it also there's less people out and then winter fishing um i would say up until last year if you fish our local river here, the Provo River, if you go on a Saturday, you're not, you, you're going to be seeing a guy around every bend, and you're going to have people dropping in on you all day. It is just so packed. And then in the winter time, you'd see maybe three people out. But last year, it was, it was still packed. It was crazy. Not as packed as the summer, but you know. I drive past all the turnoffs. I know where guys park and, you know, I'd see on any given day, you know, 20, 30 anglers out in the middle of the winter. What are you going to fill your fly box with in the winter time? Um, so in the winter time, I fish a lot of, uh, uh, well, if I'm fishing the river, I pretty much, all you need is a black leech or woolly bugger or maybe a couple different uh, other variations of colors. And then I fish a lot of small, small nymphs. And uh, you can never go wrong with a sow bug uh, on this local stretch. But uh, three years ago, I got into ice fishing, you know, out on lakes. And I absolutely love it because I, I treat it almost like how I would a river. I'm constantly moving, constantly adapting. And then, uh, you know, we use a variety of different uh, 
you know, I use bait. I'm not a, opposed to bait fishermen. About the only time I use bait is when I'm uh, fishing with the kids or, you know, ice fishing because mealworms go a long ways on the lakes. But uh, we also use a lot of flies that we that have been really, really effective under the ice. Do you tie up any little ice jigs? Yeah, I've tied up ice jigs. I've resined, you know, made my own little ice jig bodies with resins. Um, I tie a lot of uh, different bugs for different conditions, but usually it's just something with a little bit of uh, shine and glimmer glimmer that attracts the attention. We do quite a number of, like, chronomid-type nymphs uh, when we're ice fishing, so... Do you tie buzzers much? Those are fun. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I tie a lot of buzzers, but I wouldn't say I tie a lot. I tied a lot. I don't fish them as much. I don't know why. I haven't had the luck that I know a lot of guys do. But I, I have good luck on them in the spring and in the fall. But the rest of the year, it just hasn't been a proven fly for me personally. Are you fishing? So I tied a box of them shoot four years ago and i think i've only lost like three flies are you doing the ice fishing in one of those tents or are you just drilling and moving i'm drilling and moving we usually drill between 12 and 30 something holes and uh, i i have a hand auger so that's how i stay warm but last year i bought a tent for when the kids go but it turned into they just want to bring their iPads and sit in the tent if they they don't don't catch grumpy old men. (laughs) I I've watched it. It's been a few years though. I think my kid needs to see that one. She's all about legally blonde right now. No, that's a good, that's a good one too. Bend and snap. She says I do the best bend and snap. I'm like, great. But I'd like to get it to where, you know, I see those guys out in like the great lakes where they got a hut out there and they're watching TV and got the grills out there. We don't have that safe of ice here. But I think that like that's on my bucket list. I want to go do that. I did do that with my cousin Caleb on Lake Erie sometime. He's always he loves hard water. That's his jam. He just waits for that freeze every year. Yeah, it's it's um I I used to think it was the most boring thing in the world because I'd go out occasionally, and then um, I purchased a flasher, which some may argue that's cheating. What is a but, flasher? Uh, what? Besides someone that exposes themselves. I don't know the term flasher. Uh, flasher is basically uh, fish uh, sonar. Oh. And so you, you drop this sonar cone into your hole or to another hole opposing, and it shows you everything that's beneath you. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And uh, you can fine-tune it so that, you know, your little size 18 zebra midge barely shows up so anything on the radar is bigger than that interesting 
and you can see structure you can see a lot of different things depending on which one you buy and and i use that information i guess you'd say that ice fishing on some lakes here is recon for spring fishing because i'll go through and i'll see okay here's the ledge i know where it's at so in spring this is where it's going to be and so we do a lot like i found one of my best honey holes at a local lake ice fishing and then the summertime it has been i've never not left there with a 20 plus inch cutthroat oh not not that i took one i usually catch and release but um i mean there hasn't been a time I haven't caught one over 20, which is kind of awesome at that lake. I saw you, you, ca- you caught a rainbow and put it in your logoed mug and shook it up the other day. Something came out. <laughs> oh, that was, that was a fun, that was the kids, uh, we were doing TikToks. So. Oh, that's the, yeah, see, I don't know about the TikTok. My kid's not old enough and, and I don't partake in it. Yeah, we, we went through a phase, I think during COVID where we had a lot, my, we, my kids and I, we were making TikToks and then what's funny is my, nine-year-old we made that fish one because he thought it was a funny idea like he laughs for days every time he sees it but then my seven-year-old i don't know why he hadn't seen it and i showed it to him and he goes oh dad that's how you get all the fish skins on we should go catch a brook trout or a tiger trout and then that way we have a tiger mug and i'm like you are not my kids (laughs) (laughs) that's funny yeah, so we have a little bit of fun with those. And with but the social media, that, do do companies see you and throw stuff your way for you to use to promote? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Like I, I, there's some companies that reach out and say, "Hey, if I send you this, will you use it?" And I say, "If I like it." Like I'm pretty upfront. If if I don't like something, I'm not going to. Uh, post about it but when when i'm I, I i think i post daily sometimes multiple times you know it's not that i'm always looking for content but i love new product like it's an addiction for me so if someone sends out an email hey this is a new product i've already probably ordered it like right then like i just love new product to see how you can apply that to a lot of different flies you already fish or a new tool is it going to be better than what i'm using and so sometimes I, companies want to send me it. Uh, other times they, you know, I just order it. Um, so yeah, I get I get sent some stuff sometimes. And there's a I'm on a few pro teams, and you know, part of those agreements sometimes you have deals where you get a discount or a, a yearly package or a monthly quarterly package type deal. So any of your favorite products that you've tested out that you just absolutely endorse oh that's a there's a lot of you know product out there i mean when you're talking like feathers like i've tried a bunch of different brands a bunch of different uh companies whiting farms is by far the most durable quality feathers and hackle i think i've i've used and that's not because i'm on now i'm on their pro team but like there's nothing worse than i bought a, a freaking you know, saddle to do a game changer and half the stems are breaking as you're tying it. Oh, that would piss um, me off. Oh yeah. Like, you know, you, you prep the feather tied in and you, you're tying in, you know, 40 to 80 feathers. And every time you tie in two or three at a time and they break off and it's not, 
you know, I've tied enough flies to know it's not my thread tension that's cutting the stem. It's the hackle, the, the stem is crusty or old or was dyed wrong or I, I don't, that's the part of the industry I don't know of how to, you know, like I said, I don't process my own feathers or, or hair. I know that there's a process to it, but I don't know if it's just the one I got, but that's why I stick with whiting now on most of my stuff. Uh, Semperfly, their nano silk. Unbelievable. Um, the 12 is what turned me on to them mm. along with their straggle string. Uh, it adds hints of UV and that nano silk. You don't have to worry about, I mean, it's sad when I say this, you don't have to worry about thread tension. Because you can put an 18-aught nano silk on in a bobbin and give it to anybody, and it's going to be really hard for them to break unless they hit a hook point. Yeah, I was using some 12-aught black nano silk last week to tie up Traco spinners with a little bit of foam on them to keep them up. Yeah, this stuff's amazing. It makes my fingers black, though. Mine are kind of old. I don't know if they've updated them. but Yeah, so that was when they got a kind of a bad... I, 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 uh, it's a lot of people in the beginning when I was wanting the nano silk, they talked negatively about the dyeing and that's, uh, since being on their team now, they updated us last year. Let's see. Yeah. About a year ago that they, they are no longer producing the nano silk outside of their control. Like before I think somebody else was producing it and then they were spooling it. I can't remember, but now it's all in house and the new stuff doesn't ever die. I haven't had any rub off or, you know, sometimes your white bobbin tip goes orange or pink or whatever color the silk was you were using. I haven't had that issue in a long time. So that might be your stock since they've changed that. But uh, it's amazing stuff. Looking around, there's a lot. Like I love Fish Hunter Marabou. I think Nature Spirit puts that out. They've got a new product I, I didn't even know existed was that stimulator deer hair it's perfect and i i and then like their spinning hair is amazing like you know it's stuff that i never tried but then when you're spinning deer hair and you use the spinning hair it's cleaner it spins like just it just flares like amazing and before i was trying to you know use these bulk patches i found somewhere and it, it made it more difficult to tie the fly and i struggled through it and i hated it but then when I used the correct material or a, a better material, it made it easy. It made it fun. And so it's finding that product that works for you that makes it a lot easier. Like I just tied up a bunch of gurglers and I was sick of just going through so much craft fur. And I went into my shop and I'm like, hey, there's got to be a substitute. And we looked around for a while and finally we found a synthetic yak hair. And it's perfect. And it saved me a ton of time tying up that order. So you said tying up an order. So you do some commercial stuff as well? Not really. I don't, I don't, I don't, this was for a, a personal um, friend that was going up to uh, Alaska on a trip. I have some flies on my website, but most of the time they're out of stock because if I'm tying flies for someone else, that means I'm not fishing or, or spending time with my kids. So I just had so many requests for certain flies. So I just, threw them up on the website and you know there's shirts and stuff that people want and that way when someone says hey how much for some of your flies i go here's the website well i don't see these flies on there uh, well that's because i'm not going to tie them i don't you know 
a fly that takes me an hour and a half to tie, I know you're not going to want to buy it. And with that, t-shirts and stuff, you also do tying contests. Um, yeah, I kind of did those year? just, so that's the other thing. I, you know, I reached a point where my wife, we, we were, companies were sending me stuff and like, I'm like, Hey, I don't need anything. I want to pay you for it because I'm a small business owner. I'm not out there for a free product or, you know, I'm not going to say, Hey, if I, if you send me this product, I'll post it on my page type scenario because there's a lot of that out there. Uh, but, uh, at one point I just, I was sitting there and I had gotten like three packages that day or something, you know, just small stuff. And then another, the next day, another package came and I'm like, you know what? There's so many guys out there that, uh, you know, I'm really, really blessed that this is happening to me. And I go, there's gotta be a way to give back. And so I did, you know, basically I said, okay, there's fly contest, but I go, this has got to be epic. You know, we got to make the prize pack awesome. And so I reached out to a few companies. I said, hey, I want to buy this for this contest. And just so letting you know, you know, I don't want to have to have anyone follow or do anything like that. I just want somebody to tie a fly, enjoy tying a fly that they're they're not used to tying for a chance to win this, you know, epic package. And they were like, some were like, hey, we'll just send it to you. Others were like, okay, yeah, cool. Like, you know, because, you know, I'm not expecting anything uh, because I'm not – you know, we're asking anyone to follow you. And that's potentially why people do giveaways is so they get followers. But we just, we did it. It was a lot of fun. You know, the winner was perfect. Uh, it, it, it made my day hearing the backstory on him. And it made me want to do another one. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. That spooky streamer contest was a lot of fun. Uh, there were some really talented people that came out of the woodworks. Uh, tying different flies than they usually tie. And that's kind of what I enjoy doing. So it was fun seeing that. But I know there's a lot of people that don't enjoy, enjoy seeing that because why tie a fly that you're not going to fish or, you know, it's too arts and craftsy. But I think it's all about having fun and using those techniques to see if you can create something that you didn't ever think you could create. And then that builds confidence in your tying skills. You know, like taking rabbit and making a freaking werewolf with claws. I mean, that was amazing. There's um, some creative people out there that do some insane things. Yeah, and it's fun seeing those people. And you don't see them because of the dumb algorithm. All I see is the big companies all the time on my feed. So if I were to go to Instagram and just look at hit the magnifying glass, it's all just like hoochie mamas and women in bikinis fishing. Yeah. Like, why is there an over-sexualization? I'd rather see people tying flies, not... Well, and you don't even see your friends that fish, you know? So there's definitely something with that, and I don't get it. I don't get into the, the, the quote-unquote algorithm. You know, it's it's it, Instagram used to be a lot more fun when it was chronological. Then now it's, you know, you have to see the popular posts or what they want you to see. Uh, I don't know, whatever. I, I, I'm always up in the air on whether I'm just going to get off or not. Are there any people you suggest listeners follow on Instagram? Oh, shoot. Just, yeah, I mean, go to who I follow and look through the list. There's a lot of talented tires out there. A lot of fun people out there. I don't necessarily have, uh, you know, a top 10 list, but, you know, 
I'm not saying that I'm a good judge of skill by looking at Instagram, but you know, I follow some really quality tires. So if you're looking for some inspiration, you know, scroll through who I follow. I've done that with some of the tires that I respect. I see who they follow and uh, you meet some new people that way. Nice. Very cool. Are there any posts that get you more likes, more followers than others? Like, like, did you post something and then you're like, wow, that one really got some attention versus one that um, just kind of, you know, there's, there's, there's sometimes I do look at that. I'll be honest. I don't look at engaged, uh, you know, the insights as much as some people do, um, because I, I just post what I want to post. But there's sometimes like, for example, today, last night I had this idea and I go, Hey babe, tomorrow you're going to help me do a TikTok." I go, it's going to, it's going to go crazy. And she's like, no, we're not doing TikToks tomorrow. I go, no, no, I need your help. I got this idea. And so in my mind, I think it's going to be funny to see how many comments or people like, ha ha ha, you know, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily do it for, you know, the likes or the, it's just the, a, a spoof on what some people take serious in the industry that I, I guess I don't. Do you ever take and pictures so, with rods on your shoulders? Uh, in the beginning I did. Yeah. I, uh, I had a few of those and then I realized like why? <laughs> and now it's uh, it's funny cause I don't even take a lot of pictures when I go out fishing anymore. It's just kind of, you know, if it's a really nice fish then oh yeah. Or if it's got like some, you know, unique, uh, feature about the fish than I do. And, uh, occasionally I have to, I guess I have to post some pictures of fishing because I need credibility as a tire, I guess, is what the messages say. Uh, so I throw a random fish in there every now and then, but most of those are for, you know, stay on my camera roll or get text to a few buddies and, you know, mainly to protect the water and also the, uh, flies that we are tying up that never make it to, you know, social media. All right. Let's talk about Traegering now. Do we cover any, everything about fly tying? I mean, there's a lot to cover. Oh, there's a ton to cover. Yeah. But yeah. You want to talk Traegers? Sure. I love Traegers. What model Traeger do you have? Uh, so I just got the Ironwood 885. So that's big. Um, you put like a whole pig or goat in there, right? Uh, I don't know about a whole pig or goat. It's not. So before that, I had the big Texas, and I think I could do a small pig in that. I, I don't know. I've never really tried a whole pig. And then uh, before that, or the big Tex was my first one. I've got the tailgater, which I still have. Um, but the Ironwood is their new technology. It's got the, uh, um, you know, the wireless uh, Wi-Fi. So it connects to my app so I can adjust the temperature while I'm sitting on the couch. Uh, it, uh, it's got the pellet sensor. So it alerts me when it's getting low and it is amazing to see the difference in the technology over the years because I think my big text was from seven, eight years ago. And, and now it's almost like they've changed the way the uh, smoke uh, funnels through because before it used to come through the, you know, out, out through the hopper to the burner and then, you know, come up through the, the barrel and then out the exhaust, is it called? I'm not sure on that. But... Um, now it's almost like a freaking convection oven. 
So when I did when I first got it, I did some kebabs, and they were the best I've ever done. And it was way easier. So today we're going to be um, actually doing. I did El Pastor tacos a few weeks ago. Wow. And today we're going to try it with. Uh, we're going to do like a chicken fajita tower. And so that's what uh, we're going to try today. Something we've never done before. But that's what the wife. Uh, we're basically going to do some tacos and carve it off like you would a kebab, you know. Oh my goodness. But I love Traeger. It's, it's great. They. It's a great company. They're based out of Utah. So, yeah. have you ever made armadillo eggs? No, I haven't. That is jalapeno popper wrapped in sausage, wrapped in bacon, barbecue sauce coated, and cooked for like three hours. Uh, you got my is, email. Send me that recipe. Yeah, it is unbelievable. We just made them. Our, our neighbors just. I'm like, hey man, just drop off the stuff and I'll cook it for you. So I made a whole lamb shoulder the other day for one neighbor. And then my other neighbor, Jamie, dropped off stuff to make eight armadillo eggs for her. I'm like, you buy it, I'll cook it. Oh, they are unbelievable. My wife just said, find something that's not chicken thighs or, you know, smoked flank steak. And I found that. I was like, yeah. And then tomorrow. I just Googled it, and I am definitely going to be trying that. That I, looks yeah, amazing. I used a hay grill hay recipe mm-hmm. but I'm that's doing, the one that came up first yeah uncle boone's thai roast chicken is what i'm doing tomorrow so i gotta mm-hmm. brine that chicken tonight uh but yeah no uh, i love traeger i mean it's uh you know i, I post about it quite a bit because that's what i do usually on sundays call it and you know this is non-official but quote unquote the uh crock pot for men yeah do you have you a, set it and walk away do you have a name for yours uh, no, it's so new that I, I never, I, I don't think I've never named mine for the Bluetooth. Mine is meat sweats machine, but I want to change it to the rock. <laughs> so then I can say, people are like, I smell the food from up the street. I'm like, you smell what the rock's cooking. <laughs> oh, that's the best uh, thing I think I've heard all day. So we've named our sourdough starter Tina because of Napoleon dynamite because you have to feed. <laughs> so my wife's like, go feed Tina. <laughs> Oh, man, you should move out here. I think we could be best friends. Yeah, Traeger parties. All right, I got some random questions now just to round things off with. What's the strangest thing you've ever found while fishing? I found a lot of strange things. I still don't know how I was able to reel in a buoy that was sunk without my line breaking like it was not just that i have a i think i still have a picture of it it was literally a you know a water buoy that had sunk filled with concrete and i somehow reeled it in i i I think that was kind of weird yeah but in contrast the i think the the scariest thing i think i ever found was we, we were fishing with my boys, and we were kind of focusing on river cleanup that day. And we found uh, 12 or 15, uh, you know, syringes Ugh. in a pack. I, I'll be honest, I, that was kind of scary to me because my boy was the one that picked it up. Oh, boy. But I just said, you know, that's that's – and that's when I kind of got more focused on, you know, when I'm out trying to leave it better than – 
you know, it, it was when we got there, you know, always leave with a net full of trash if you can. And, you know, that was kind of, I didn't, I didn't like that day, but that was probably the scariest thing I found in the water or near the water. Cause it was eight feet from the water, just right there out in the open. So what's something you won't eat? Um, bad food. If, if, if I don't like it, I won't even continue eating it. There's nothing like specific that your wife just knows not to bring into the house. Um, shellfish I'm allergic to, so she knows not to bring that into the house. You're, you're um, in the mountains too. There's not much shellfish around. Yeah, no, but, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. We, you know, uh, we, we've been over in Japan, uh, and when, when they have like octopus legs or, you know, like uh, the suckers that have the scorpions in, we have that here. I, I, I don't care to eat octopus or bugs or you know, squid that's still alive. I, I, I don't care to eat the weird stuff. Dig it. But I know people really love it and they think it's awesome and tastes good. And but I don't even care to try it. So I'm not you, afraid to say, nope, I'm good. I'm like, if, no, I'm not going to eat it. If you could only eat one soup for the rest of your life, what soup would it be? My favorite soup is clam chowder, but I'm allergic. So one soup i'd probably say my wife she makes a homemade chicken noodle soup that is served over mashed potatoes Whoa. it's a grandma's recipe oh my goodness it's it's literally my favorite thing i look forward to it all winter or her dad has a white chili recipe or my mom's chili those are because chili could be considered soup right yeah uh, maybe that's a stretch. So we'll we'll stick with the chicken noodle soup. Okay. If you could fish with any pioneer of fly fishing that's alive or dead, who would you choose? Wow, that's uh, that's tough. You know, I I don't know. Um, I don't think there's any one individual because I just like going with anybody. Um. I, I don't know on that one. Like, I don't have, like, a bucket list of people. Um, I'd say just, I don't know. I'll pass. Okay. <laughs> Favorite Harrison Ford movie? I don't know, man. Air Force One was pretty hardcore. Nice. What's your favorite hatch? I'd say the caddis, evening caddis hatch. Let's say I've got a plane gassed up at the airport nearest you with enough fuel to go anywhere in the world. Where are we going fishing? Or where are we going? Or what, what, we have to go fishing? Or can we just go anywhere? Well, we can go anywhere. I don't know. I uh, There's so many great waters here locally that, you know, I, I don't know. Right now I've got redfish on the mind. I want to go redfishing, so I'd say Louisiana. But I know if it's going anywhere, I'd have to think bigger destination so eh, let's just go somewhere tropical i could use a nice tropical drink these days yeah let's see uh what item if you left behind on a fishing trip would just ruin your day i would my day would be ruined if i lost my boat box you got your name written on it 
address? Uh, dude, the flies, people know. People will know. <laughs> no, I've, I've had fears because I, I, I used to just take boxes for, like, say I was going to go fish the caddis hatch or, you know, something, or I was going to go fish streamers. I'd only take, like, one or two boxes. And then I kept getting to places and not having what I need. So now I take 80% of my flies in one box. And it's my fear of losing that box that I would, I would die. I've lost a couple full fly boxes. It's horrific. Yeah. But see, then I would look at it as an opportunity to start over and uh, get rid of all those flies that I know don't work yeah. or never were effective. And yeah, just, it would be depressing to retie everything. So Art, who does a frequent interview with me, we're going to do uh, terrestrials next week podcast he had his car broken into and someone took all his flies like every, oh. every all his fishing gear so he's like well gonna get some new boxes and start over again so i think yesterday he did 50 pats rubber legs yeah see i'm trying to replenish just my leech box right now and add like what i want it it, it takes forever like when you're thinking about starting a whole new box like i'm i've probably going to have like four or 500 in here. Wow. Uh, so a few different boxes and it just blows my mind. Like it takes forever. You don't think about it. All right. Second to last question. Is there a fly fishing book you recommend to everyone listening? Oh shoot. Depends on what you're tying. I, I, I I've steered people towards some of Charlie Craven's books because they're very, very instructional. I love if you're doing poppers, there's a book designing poppers and, uh, and uh, sliders and divers that's very, very, it's like the encyclopedia for poppers. But yeah, I mean, just for time flies, you know, Charlie Craven has like three books out that I think are amazing. Yeah, I've got a lot a of great of patterns in there, good instructional ones for the beginner or the experienced tire. Okay. And to finish off the podcast, I need a story that you had to have been there to believe. Fishing, not fishing related, just one of those craziest things you've ever seen. Ooh. Um, craziest thing I've ever seen that you wouldn't believe. I once saw a kangaroo try to jump over a fence in Australia and it caught its feet and it tripped and rolled about four or five times. And I was like, why did I not have my camera rolling at that moment? That would have been YouTube gold, and no one else saw it but me. You know, it's not related to fishing or anything, and I don't have the video anymore. I don't want to talk negatively about my middle child, but it just blew my mind, the thought process going through his head on this one. So we used to have a metal swing set, you know, that, you know, it's got swings, a slide, and you crawl up these bars to get up to the tower type thing. You know, it's six feet off the ground. Typical backyard playset. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the bars are, you know, it's heavy duty. So, you know, you've got to climb four to five bars to get up to the little platform. Now, my, my boy, we were teaching him how to potty train. And he, for some reason, would... I told him, I said, hey, when you're outside, you can go pee on bushes or, you know, trees or anything, but just not concrete, like or a house. You know, we went through the list of things you can and can't pee on. And he was like, okay. So he comes in crying, bloody murder. 
and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And at the time, I didn't think to save the footage, but uh, my wife did see it, so it is believable, and I have a witness. But he, he sat there, and he's playing by himself in the backyard, and then he takes down his pants, and he pees all over these metal bars. Then he walks up to the next the, – he goes up a level and then pees on that bar and goes up a level and pees on that bar and then gets down. And I'm just like, what is going through his head? Because like, right after that, he goes and walks up it and puts his hand and feet in the pee. And as he gets up to the third bar, he slips, falls backwards, bends in half, lands on his like neck. So he does this like total – flip backwards hitting the bars and then landing on the grass and it was one of those things i was just like oh my gosh how is he still alive but then how is he so like what was the thought process of peeing on something then climbing right up what you just peed on so it kind of blew my mind but we were laughing about it and he's fine and he was fine but i just it's the middle kid can't believe what's going through his head my neighbors always talk about the middle kid is that what it is? It's the middle kid? Yeah, I think so. Because he's definitely got some, a lot of stories with him. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, this has been fascinating. I'm glad we got a chance to sit down and learn a little bit more about you. Where can people find you if they are not following you currently on social media or any other platforms? Well, I think that's pretty much it. You know, Sven Diesel's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. SvenDiesel.com is the website. Where did the diesel uh, come from? Came from uh, high school flag football. Uh, the uh, I don't know how, but we, we you know, I wasn't big enough to play football in high school, and so we, we played flag football, which was a lot more fun. Were you six and feet we plus in high school? Uh, made some jerseys, and one of them just said uh, "Diesel" on the back, and I took that one. And then my middle name was Sven. And then at the time, the Fast and the Furious series had just started. And so kind of everyone started calling me Sven Diesel. And I, and then in college, a roommate, that's all he calls me still to this day. And so that's where it kind of came from. So Sven's my middle name, and Diesel was just the jersey I picked up then to play football in. Very cool. Well, also, thanks for doing this early on a Sunday morning. No, I appreciate you doing it early. My kids are still asleep, so it worked out perfect for me, too. Man, my kid got up at like 6 today. <laughs> what are you thinking? That's how it always goes. I'm surprised. Usually when I have something scheduled, they uh, they wake up and they're just causing noise, but they're still asleep. So. Wow. Good for you. All right. Sven, we'll see you online. Yeah. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network.
Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.